Okay, we're going to continue, probably wrap it up tonight. Uh, we're going to continue talking about healing. And uh, let's turn over to 1 Peter 2 just for a moment, and then we'll go a different direction. But I just wanted to highlight this verse. Really enjoyed uh, this series, <laughs> studying healing and just... Ah, oh, just taking another look at this, this whole issue. It's so profound in the scripture. So important to us. Let's, uh, let's pray. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we're asking you, release your presence. Release your presence. We thank you for the word. Thank you that the word of God is true. It's sharper than every two-edged sword. It pierces between soul and spirit. It's a divider of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. God, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We're asking, let the word of God come to bear upon us tonight. Lord, would you fill this room with the presence of the Lord? Fill this room in a mighty way with power. Lord, we look to you. You're the healer. We thank you for the healing testimonies that we've had. But God, there are so many more needs. So I'm asking you, God, for the glory of the name of your son, stretch forth your hand in the name of Jesus and heal tonight, even tonight, even tonight. Or release revelation, wisdom and revelation in the word. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. I just, I hit this point a few weeks ago and I just wanted to start off by iterating it again and just touching it again. I'm, I'm touched by the man Jesus. He's, he's pretty phenomenal. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. And Peter could have said it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And he himself bore our sicknesses in his body so that we might die to sickness and live to healing. For by his wounds, we are healed. In fact, that's what he's actually doing with the two statements. He explains the exchange of sin for righteousness through the vehicle of the cross. And then he explains the exchange of sickness for healing through the vehicle of the stripes that Jesus bore on his back. He's giving us two statements of the power of the cross. I'm sitting here thinking about this. You know, there's people that believe that all the miracles... Uh, are done away with, that there are no more miracles. But they believe you can get born again, but they don't believe God does anything supernatural anymore. And I was thinking about how crazy of an idea that is because of this. Think about this. They believe that you can say, I believe in Jesus as Lord, and I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. 
And they believe that if you'll say that and believe it in your heart, that sin that is attached to your spirit, that's caused your spirit to die, they believe that that will be blown out of you and that your spirit will come alive supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And they believe God will come and live inside of you. That's crazy. I mean, that's the Bible. But have you ever thought about how amazing the new birth is? God inside of people. That's the mystery that's been hidden from ages past. They've got no problem believing that the God who created the universe with a word can come and live inside of the human spirit. But then they stumble over a far lesser mystery that that same God that created everything can just fix the body. I mean, the logic of it fails dramatically when you just stare at it for just a second. And I look at this scripture and he says, by, your, by his stripes you were healed. And it rings out so strongly to me the purpose that Jesus went to the cross. The purpose that Jesus took the scourge. He took the scourge not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And as a token of love, because he was moved with compassion, he undergoes the brutalization of his own flesh as a man. Why? So there'd be a transfer of sickness onto him and healing onto you. He does that. Why? Because he wanted his people to have ascendancy over sickness, disease, pain, and infirmity. Just as he wants us to have ascendancy over sin, he allows himself to get tortured mercilessly to grant us healing. Oh my goodness. That is so powerful. By his stripes, you were healed. Why? Because he loves you and had compassion on you. It wasn't just a matter of him having to spill blood. He spilled blood to pay for the sin issue, but he goes a whole other step further and allows himself to be tortured because he is in love with you. By his stripes, you were healed. And what he has done and what he desires is that his people, I just said it, but I want to say it again. We've got to get this lodged in our heart. His people, he desires his people to have ascendancy over sickness and disease. Just as he desires his people not to be ruled by sin, he desires his people not to be ruled by sickness. And that's why he packages it together in 1 Peter 2. He goes, he, he did this, he bore our sins in his body, that you might die to sin and live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. It's the same kind of comment as the first one. He's trying to get us a vision of what the purpose of those stripes were. And it's to give us authority, beloved. To live in a realm of authority over and above sickness and disease in our body in this life. It's a powerful reality. It's such a powerful reality that I'm convinced that I am not really tapping into this thing yet. I mean, I'm barely touching it. I mean, we're scratching the surface a little bit. We're getting a few things happening. But I'm telling you, there is such a deep well of revelation in this.
And I believe that, that there is coming a time when believers will fasten to the truth of the word and the truth of the word will produce results in the arena of healing just as easy as it produces results in the area of the forgiveness of sins. Think how simple it is. We tell people all the time, if you'll just pray this prayer, confess your sins, forsake them, repent, cast, uh, uh, confess Jesus as Lord. You repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord. You are free. We, we tell them strongly, you are forgiven. You're set free from sin. Think about the supernatural transaction that has to take place. The seed of God has to come into their spirit and cause their spirit, which was dead because of sin, to now come alive on the inside of them. That transaction is so supernatural, yet we believe it just like this. If a sinner says, Jesus, forgive me, you are my Lord, we're like, yes! I believe this healing... The revelation of the power of the stripes that Jesus bore on his back, the revelation of that is going to be so second nature to us that just as we believe that people are instantly delivered from sin, we're going to believe instantly delivered from sickness and disease. We're going to live as a people with ascendancy over this. We're not going to be intimidated by AIDS. We're not going to be intimidated by these new, these new uh, staph infections. The, whatever, whatever the mutation is, have you heard of this thing? These staph infections, that they, they're, they're, they're resistant to antibiotics. They're resistant to antibiotics. What happens is what they've been saying is going to happen all along. All our antibiotics have created these, these strands of staph that are now so powerful that they don't have the antibiotic that can beat it. And so the, uh, the, the, uh, the death rates are extremely high in the people that get these, but there's only about 20,000 that die annually, but it's like a 50% kill rate because it's so, it's so powerful and there's nothing that can treat it. But you know what? The people of God have something that can treat even something like that. It's called the stripes of Jesus that he bore on his back by whose stripes, guess what? You were healed. Ah, right. oh, we've got to get this. All right, I just needed to get that off my chest. Turn to Luke chapter 6. There's a well in that by whose stripes you were healed. Oh, that we be a whole community of healing technicians. Be a whole community that believe the word of God as they... Uh, in regard to healing as we do as it, as it relates to sin and forgiveness. Luke 6, verse 17. I love this story. Oh, I've just meditated on it and pictured it over and over in my mind. I just, I mean, I just love this story. I hope there's a bunch of like DVDs when we get there. I'm gonna, can, I, can I watch Luke 6, 17, and I really just, can I get with the commentary, like the director's commentary, can I get the, the father to commentary on this, because this is too cool. It says, and he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon 
who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. I want to point a couple things out. He came down and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples. A crowd of his disciples. Well, if you look at the verses just prior to that, he had just picked out 12 from that crowd of disciples and named them apostles. Now, you know, we kind of always say the 12 disciples, but they're out of the, out of the uh, number, there was a large number of disciples, and there was 12 he named as apostles. I thought that was an interesting little point, just a little side tidbit. You know, when they chose Judah's successor, he had to be one that had been with them from the beginning. Now, just a little side journey, but think about that, because that guy was likely in that crowd, and he's standing there watching, and Jesus picks Judas instead of him. Wow. And Judas sells Jesus out, and somehow he stays out, you know, Judas' replacement stays out of offense, because at that point he's thinking, well, you should have picked me, man, Judas sold you out. But I think it's interesting. There's this large crowd of disciples. He picks 12 to be apostles. Judas is one of those. And there's this other group that, that was standing there that were still, they were still disciplined followers of Jesus. They're still disciples. It's just an interesting little side point. So this whole crowd of disciples and then a great multitude of people and where are they from? All Judea. That's, Judea is just the place where Jews lived. They're from all over where Jews lived. And Jerusalem. And even as far north as Tyre and Sidon, which actually had a lot of Gentiles, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out of him and healed them all. Now, here's what had happened. Jesus had been in Capernaum. He'd been there, and uh, he, he had just gone out all night and prayed all night. And he goes to this mountain, and the commentators all believe that this is the mountain where he, he released the Sermon on the Mount. And so what you get later in Luke chapter 6 is actually a reiteration of some of the, the ideas from the Sermon on the Mount. And what the, the, the commentators will tell you is there's a whole train of thought that thinks he was actually just uh, preaching parts of the Sermon on the Mount again in the same place. I thought that was an interesting thought. So he's on this level area, this, this little flattened area. He's just picked the 12 apostles. He's been in Capernaum. He's been up all night. And this massive crowd forms. Well, they knew that Capernaum was a hot spot because we found out a few weeks ago that you know, Jesus stayed there. He lived there. That was Simon Peter's hometown. And Jesus lived in Capernaum uh, with Simon Peter when he wasn't out you know, doing other journeys. So this incredible crowd, a crowd of his disciples, a great multitude from everywhere shows up. As far north as even you know, Tyre and Sidon. And he begins to minister healing. And this is the way I think it may have gone. He's laying hands on people and he's ministering to them one at a time. Jesus seemed to always minister one at a time. He, he, would, he would know the individual. He would know what was going on with them. And then he would minister healing to them. And so what is happening there, I think, is this. He's doing that in that fashion. He's laying, there's times when he just laid hands on everybody. I mean, maybe a thousand people at a time just laying hands on them. So he's laying hands on them and they're being healed. So maybe he has a blind man and he gets healed. And then maybe he has a, a, a man that's got a paralyzed leg and, and he gets healed. And then maybe he's got a man who's got a, 
uh, or a woman who's got a, a deaf ear, and, and that one gets healed. And so then maybe he comes up and he has another blind man. And while he's laying hands on this blind man, the next person in line, perhaps, reaches out and touches him. You know, they're, they're, they're getting excited. They're watching healing, 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 healing. That blind guy's about to get healed, and I'm next. And, and they just excited. They just, Jesus. And all of a sudden, while he's ministering healing to that blind man, that person touches him, and they get healed while the blind man starts rejoicing at the same, they both get healed at the same time, simultaneous. And then the next guy over goes, wait a minute, I don't have to, I don't have to wait? And he grabs him. And when he grabs him, bzzz, he gets healed. <laughs> Why? Why the because power is going out of Jesus. Power is flowing out of Jesus. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening is the line of sick people, I mean, there's demonized people, there's people manifesting demons who either had a friend bring them there or they knew uh, they, they were in, in control enough to be able to get themselves there. And all of a sudden, the crowd begins to converge and collapse on Jesus like a magnet because they realize this. They don't have to wait one more minute. Jesus is in the midst, and power is leaving Jesus and healing every single person. So the crowd collapses on Jesus, and everyone who touches Jesus healed. Everyone. Can you imagine the scene as they're touching him, and they're rejoicing? I love the way the different gospel writers put it, you know, because sometimes they'll talk about how they left their leaping and praising and rejoicing. I, but it's so funny because right here with Luke, he explains this massive crowd that all came to hear Jesus preach and to be healed. And he has this one little phrase to explain what happened. And he healed them. Healed who, Luke? All of them. All of who, Luke? Everyone who touched him, he healed them all. They were all healed, everyone. I mean, what kind of a day was that? I just, I mean, can you imagine Jesus in the midst? He's touching a few at a time, and whoosh, the crowd collapses. Everybody's, I mean, they're, they're leaping. They're lunging for him. They're getting up. They are dancing and shouting and rejoicing. They're saying, and they're starting to say, just touch him. Power's coming out of him. Power's coming out of him. Just touch him. I mean, a murmur is going through the crowd. And they are, I mean, they're suctioning in around him. The most humble man who ever lived. Power is leaving him at such a rate that multitudes are being instantaneously healed, simultaneously, instantly healed. Oh, I love the scene. You know what? Power is still coming out of Jesus. It's still coming out of him. Power is still flowing from Jesus. He is the head of his body. And Ephesians 1 says this crazy thing. The fullness, talking about his body, the fullness of him, of Jesus, who fills everything. We'll come back to that. <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy thought. But power is still coming out of him. Here, let's, let's switch gears for a minute. Let's flip over to uh, Luke 7. 
Just one page. John the Baptist is in prison. And John sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or should we expect another? Let's read it, verse 20. When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. thinking about this whole transaction John's in jail John is in jail I think John knows it's the end of the line for him because he already said he must increase and I must decrease I think John knew he was going to die a death that was going to glorify the Lord in martyrdom and John and Jesus are cousins now it's likely that John hadn't seen Jesus for some years before he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. But when John sees Jesus and he baptizes him in the Jordan, the Lord had already spoke to John and said, the one that you see the Spirit descending upon, that is the one. That man will be the culmination of your life's vision, John. Because, John, you are a voice of one crying in the wilderness. You are a voice, John, to prepare the way of Messiah. You are there to prepare the way, John, and when you see the Spirit of the Lord come down on that one, you will know that's the one that you're preparing the way for, John. John comes, or Jesus comes to John, and, and John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan, and he watches the Spirit fall on Jesus and he hears audibly this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased John hears it with his ears let me tell you something John's rejection of the priesthood and his radical lifestyle of calling sin sin in the wilderness when people had to come out to hear him and calling out Herod for sleeping with his his brother's wife John's radical lifestyle of eating locusts and honey and dressing in, in, in wild clothes, camel skins, it was all vindicated in one moment when the Father thunders from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The forerunner's life was vindicated in one instant. It all made sense. So John gets arrested. He must increase, John said, and I must decrease. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I want to tell you something. John in prison did not get a case of amnesia. He did not get the prison blues. He didn't start getting depressed. I've looked at this from a bunch of different angles, probably preached it from all of them. But I am convinced he did not get a a momentary minute of doubt and unbelief. You know, I'm going to die. And uh, can you guys go find out if it's real, man? Like, for real, he's not in that state. 
He heard the Father thunder over Jesus. His entire life was vindicated at Christ's baptism. He was so confident. He goes, look, I've seen the bridegroom. He goes, my joy is full. He goes, it's full. He's going to increase. I'm going to decrease. That's the way it goes from here on out for me. The end of the forerunner is martyrdom and the forerunner glories in it. So, John is in jail and he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. The disciples had come to John and they said, hey, we're hearing all this stuff. What do you think, John? He goes, why don't you go ask him? Go ask him, are you the coming one or is there another? So those two guys go back to Jesus, and I want to tell you something. John didn't send them to Jesus for John's benefit. John sent them to Jesus for their benefit. And I love how it worked out. Because when they show up at Jesus, they're there. They're watching it with their eyes. See, we don't really get it, but if they were John's disciples and John was beyond the Jordan baptizing, it's very unlikely that they were crossing paths with Jesus. They were just hearing the stories. Because where John was and where Jesus' main thrust of ministry was, they were separated. It's likely that John's disciples maybe didn't even come into contact except for hearing, with, hearing the testimonies. So John sends them to Jesus to see it for themselves. And he goes, ask him, are you the coming one? Or is there another? And in that moment, power breaks out. <laughs> I love it. Power breaks out. And all of a sudden, we get all these healings happening. How does Luke record it? That very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. And Jesus answered, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. He goes, you've seen it now with your own eyes. Go and report it to John. The point was, Jesus was giving them the uh, rudiments of a true gospel testimony. A true gospel testimony has at its rudiments the revelation of God releasing power on earth. He goes, tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. And he wanted them to testify of that out of their own mouth, so it would take root into their hearts. And they saw it with their own eyes. They saw blind people instantly healed, instantly. They saw lame people, people on stretchers, get up and walk. They saw deaf people, completely deaf, the ears open. Go tell them what you see. And what you hear. And he was drawing their attention to the, the foundational core element of a gospel testimony. I believe this. A gospel testimony has everything to do with, yes, the forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Christ. But it has everything to do with the demonstration of the power of God in the earth. A true gospel testimony, I believe, has both realities merged together. I love what Paul said in Romans 15. He said, I have fully preached the gospel from Illyricum to Jerusalem with a manifestation of signs, wonders, and miracles. 
A full preaching of the gospel with a manifestation of signs, wonders, and miracles. Illyricum was as far to the, to the north as, as you could get in that time. And Jerusalem was there at the south. Illyricum was n- north of Rome. It was far, far from Jerusalem. Paul said, I have gone everywhere giving a full testimony with power, signs, wonders, and miracles. And I believe that's what John and Jesus were pointing to, was a real testimony of the gospel in power, signs, wonders, and miracles. And I just was meditating. I've been meditating the last few weeks on just this. Tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. Tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. The poor of the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I mean the blind see. When Jesus is there, the blind see. When Jesus is there, the lame walk. When Jesus is there, lepers who have their flesh rotting off their bones are cleansed. Can you imagine what it was like for John's disciples to maybe see their first miracles ever? John didn't do any miracles of healing, signs, and wonders, but they show up at Jesus, and they're watching lepers take the bandages off, and the skin is completely restored right in front of their eyes. Can you imagine what it was like the first time they saw a blind man, a beggar with a a, a scarf, a a, a wrap around his head, and he's got his, his blind man stick, and he's got his blind man garment. Take those and throw those away and pull that off his face and bam they are seen can you imagine what was going on and the disciples of the forerunner tell them what you see and what you hear those guys were erupting with faith because they understood he was the one he was the one lepers are healed the lame are walking the deaf The deaf are hearing. I mean, the deaf are hearing. The deaf are hearing. I just, I was just pacing in the prayer room, just going, the blind are seeing. The blind are seeing. When Jesus is there, the blind are seeing. The blind are seeing. I'm going to ask him for that DVD when I get there. The blind are seeing. But I believe this, that God wants to make us part of a generation where they ask for our DVDs. Come on, man. I mean, for real. The blind are seeing. The lame. I mean, the man can't walk. He's on a stretcher. He can't walk. Maybe he's got nubs for feet. He's paralyzed. Maybe he can't move at all from the waist down. And the man gets up. He gets up. Not sort of healed. I mean, he gets up. Maybe the feet grow out. The lepers are cleansed. They throw away those bloody old rags. There's no sores anymore. They're not not estranged from the community anymore. They're, They're not ostracized anymore. They can hug their children. They can hug their family. They can hug. They can love. They can touch. Because they're cleansed. They're cleansed. The dead are raised. The dead, that man's dead. He's raised. I mean, the, the woman 
who Jesus stops the funeral in the city of Nain? I mean, Jesus walks up to the funeral procession and her son is in the casket. He stops it. Stop. I mean, everybody's thinking, what in the world? He says, arise. He gets up out of the casket. The dead are raised up. The dead are raised up. When Jesus is there, the dead are raised up. The dead are raised when Jesus is there. Oh, I want to meditate on these things. Because it takes my heart to a whole other place. All of a sudden, I don't believe in what I see. I believe in what I know is true. All of a sudden, I don't believe in a culture of unbelief. I believe in the truth of the scripture that when Jesus is there, anything can happen. Anything can happen. It can all happen. I mean, any miracle can happen. When Jesus is there, it can all happen. <laughs> what was that I said a minute ago? Power is still flowing out of Jesus. It's still flowing out of Jesus. Here's an interesting little thought. If Jesus was to appear right here on the platform, after we all got up off our face, we would then believe that signs, wonders, and miracles were going to happen, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd be like, preach anything you want, go as long as you want, can you do a Q&A after that, and then will you lay hands on all of us, please? <laughs> that Genesis 1 thing, can you just go to that for a minute? I mean, how'd you do that? I mean, it would just be the best meeting ever. If he materialized, <sighs> he says, you've got me all night, I'll tell you, here I go. We'd be like, preach on. <laughs> I mean, it would be the, we, would be, we would all be the amen corner. I mean, it would just be the most amazing meeting. It would be awesome. And I just, I think that we think somehow there's something different that if he were to materialize in the flesh versus what he's already said that we have right now. I flip over to Matthew 18. I'm going to land this, I think. When Jesus is there, the blind see. When Jesus is there, the lame walk. When Jesus is there, lepers are cleansed. When Jesus is there, the deaf, they're here. When Jesus is there, the dead are raised. When Jesus is there, when Jesus is there, power goes out of him and everyone's healed. When Jesus is there. Matthew 18, verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. Here's an interesting little question mark for you. Do you think Jesus was speaking figuratively 
Or do you think he really meant that? Do you think he meant like, I'm just there with you in spirit because I just like it that you guys are together and my heart's with you. And I just, you're sweet. God bless you, sweet people. No, I guarantee you he meant something way, way different. And the reason why is verse 19. If any two of you agree together, he goes, and the reason why you'll have whatever you ask for is because when two or three are gathered together in my name, he goes, I am there. I am there. I am there in the midst. You know what I think we believe? A, I think we believe that that verse is some sort of spiritualized figurative thing, and Jesus really meant, but Jesus really meant it. I think we sort of think, oh, that was sort of sweet. You know, he's there. Yeah, Jesus is always there. No, but I think it's real. Like, I think what he's saying really is this, that if you and me will get together in the name that's above every name, he's actually, he's there. He's there. He's there. And for him, I think it's just as real for him to be there as it was for him to be walking on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, for him to stop the funeral procession in Nain, for him to do you know, what he did in Capernaum. I mean, I think he's just as much there as he was there. You know, I think we have this hurdle. We sort of think, well, if Jesus was there in the flesh like he was back then, then really we'd get some healings. But if it's got to be just me and you agreeing, then I don't know. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus, bound by skin, inside of time, in his earthly ministry, had less or more power coming out of him than Jesus, resurrected from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father? Like, which version of Jesus has more power? The one that's inhibited by flesh and time or the one that is resurrected in a glorified state that is not subject to time, space, or any other thing. I mean, there's, let's just say it this way. There's no way the glorified version has less power. No chance. Impossible that that version of Jesus has less power than the Jesus that was walking in the earth in the flesh. And if that Jesus that walked in the earth in the flesh said this, that if you and me will get together in his name, that he will be there in the midst, I guarantee you he was prophesying about who he would be in his glorified state manifest in our midst when we believe. He was prophesying of a future day when believers would come together in the name of Jesus and agree and they would ask things, and it would be done for them by the Father. When Jesus is there, the blind see. And when Jesus is there, the lame walk. And when Jesus is there, the lepers are cleansed. And when Jesus is there, the deaf hear. And when Jesus is there, the dead erased and I want to tell you if there's anyone else in this room who is here in his name he's just as much here as he was there he's just as much here right now anything is possible anything's possible
It doesn't matter what our sicknesses are. They're so dumb. The God who can cause the spirit to be alive again can fix the body in an instant. And we don't have to wait for him to sort of materialize. We don't have to wait for the angel to fly through the room. When two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there. I am there. Man, I just love saying that. He's here. No, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He's not less here than he was there. He's at least the same in power and in glory. Though you can't see it, you can feel him. And if you just believe it, all things are possible to them that believe. Anything's possible tonight. It really is. Anything is possible. Anything could happen right now. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus is here. No, Jesus is here. Two or more gathered in his name. He's here. Let's have the worship team come. He's here. He's here. Jesus. Power is still coming out of you and it's manifesting through your body, which is your church. The fullness of you that fills everything. You're manifesting through your people. Wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're there. You're there. I'm gathered in your name, Jesus. We're gathered in your name, Jesus. We're gathered in your name. You're here. You're here. You're here. The blind see. The lame walk. The lame walk. The lame walk. The lame walk. The blind they see. The blind they see. They see when Jesus is here. The diseased are healed. They're healed. They're healed. Because power is still coming out of Jesus. He's right here. He's right here. And as many as touched him were healed. 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 They were healed. The deaf hear. The deaf hear. The deaf hear. When Jesus is here, the dead are raised. Let's just stand. Let's just stand and worship Him.